Hello and welcome to This is a Token with Alex Monroe, the podcast that celebrates all things jewellery. I've spent half a lifetime designing and making jewellery, but what really interests me is what it means to other people. This is a podcast where we ask our guest about the jewellery they cherish most of all. We'll explore the moving, fascinating and often surprising stories connected to each piece and those emotional bonds that we just can't do without. My guest today is Cariad Lloyd. Any seasoned podcasting listener won't need an introduction to Cariad. She is host and creator of the multi-award winning and fabulously brilliant Griefcast, which explores death and grief with humour and vibrancy. Cariad is also an improv artist, a comedian, an actor and a writer. You'll recognise her off the telly and radio from all sorts of shows like Have I Got News For You and the News Quiz and that sort of thing. Something I do want to talk about is her new book, You Are Not Alone. There's a lovely quote from Philippa Perry on the flycover. It describes the book as the friend you need when you're grieving. Carrie-Anne's making an important contribution to the way we allow ourselves to think and talk about death. We're going to be looking at some of Carrie-Anne's favourite pieces of jewellery too. We'll put all those pictures and links to the book and everything else on the podcast website and on our socials. I'm interested to find out if there's some link here because... So often my guests bring pieces of jewellery that connect them to people or feelings or beliefs or memories that don't have a physical presence anymore. Um, And I love the way that a piece of jewellery can reconnect you to something lost. So in honour of our guest, I'm going to try something new today. I'm regretting this already. (laughs) (laughs) I've got this disaster coming on. Carry on starts each podcast. This is so ridiculous. Can I start? I'm not, I don't even want to do this. Can I start each podcast beautifully by asking a guest who are we remembering today? So we're going to start a new tradition. So I'd like to say hello, a huge welcome to the brilliant Carrie Adloyd. Thank you for being my guest on This Is A Token. Carrie Ad, who are you wearing today? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I, like I, I knew that was going to be. No, but, not, but the thing is, I asked my guest to bring it, not to wear it. Yeah, so it's like, I've taken something so off. As well. I'm not going to do that again. I'll come up with my own catchphrase. Okay. I'm going to try to steal yours. Thank you so much. Thank you for that lovely introduction. Thank you. You're a bit under the weather, and we just made you climb yeah. six flights of stairs three times. Yeah, I'm a bit in the lurgy gang that everyone seems to be in. People just go, yeah, I've just had it for five weeks. It's fine. It's my life now. What is this one? I've yeah. had, I got it, and it's like, it just keeps giving. Yeah, it just keeps giving. Just sort of goes, then doesn't go, and comes back, and goes, oh, you thought you were better? Hi, I'm back. And the whole so, coughing yeah. thing. Yes, the coughing. the coughing. Which is obviously great for a podcast. It's right? amazing, yeah, yeah. Um, Carrie has come to our Snowsfield studio. She's had a nice tour round. We're here on the top floor with Alex A., um, who is my daughter Connie was going to join, but um, she's not here. Alex, say hello. Hello. Because she's here in the room. I made a note because my family, we're all kind of um, suffer from. It's all my fault. It's all from me. We all suffer from all sorts of various mental health issues. Mm-hmm. So we're all in therapy. Well, oh. five, uh, three out of five are in therapy. Amazing. That's we can great. never. It's great. <laughs> Except we can never get together. Like most families, like can can I see you on Thursday? And you'd sort of say, Oh no, I'm working or I'm already yeah, yeah. engaged. 
with us, it's like, oh no, I've got therapy. Got therapy. And I can't, and I need to honour that commitment. It's really yeah. important to me to hold that boundary. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so we never see each other as a family yeah, yeah, anymore because yeah. we're all in and out of therapy. But <laughs> Connie, my, my daughter, often does this, but Alex is here helping with like technicals and stuff like that. You've got a bit of a come down because um, you record your podcast in a proper studio and we're up on the top floor of my. Well, not, not since the pandemic. Since the of pandemic, course. I just do it in the corner of my living room. So this feels very glamorous because we're in town. And I used to record it at Whistledown Studios, which is actually yes. just around the corner in Borough in a beautiful, beautiful building. And the studio is in the studio, it's just like a little studio. Yes. There. But um, yeah, it's a, a beautiful building that was once owned by the woman who started the National Trust, I think. It's like some old, yes. little old little cottage that they're based in. So yeah, that's why I used to record. But then pandemic happened, I went on to Zoom, and I just stayed on Zoom at the moment because it's just a bit easier. I really like meeting people face-to-face because it's one of the things that's kind of one of the pleasures that I get like every couple of weeks is to meet someone and yeah, chat. Yeah. Are you kind of going to stay on Zoom? No, I would like to go back. I just think, I don't know if you've had this, everybody's in Zoom mode still yeah so then if you say oh you know you need to come to this place people are like oh really can yeah. I just talk to you in my living room and then the only the positive side of it has been that I've spoken to people who don't live in London so aren't based here who normally you'd be like oh when you're in town maybe you'll talk to me so that's that's nice it's opened it up yeah. but I did one face-to-face the other day and I was like oh I missed this <laughs> like oh this is really nice I think it's nice to have a mix isn't it yeah I guess I mean certainly the US ones we do on Zoom yeah. um, which is great and also busy people it's lovely because you can get a yeah. busy person who says well I can just fit in this exactly slot or yeah, yeah. Um, the danger we have is half the time I ask people to give up an hour which is you know quite a lot for busy people and you've got kids and yeah. work and everything to in a kind of chat way and then it's, it's like an hour's gone and we haven't even started looking at yeah, the jewellery yeah. yet and I'm thinking oh my god they must be like dying to leave gotta have, I had to have a clock in my eye line and not in their eye line so that I could constantly be like I've got my watch but I forget but to watch look watch you won't look you need a clock behind you like yeah, here yeah. so then as they're talking you can be like oh my god it's 10.15 yeah yeah, yeah yeah but it's so interesting chatting to people so I think the danger with my chat with you there's, there's several things um, sorry, I'm going to just say to my listener now, I do this podcast and it's supposed to be about the guest and then I just prattle on. So That's what podcasters do. <laughs> Don't worry, I do the same thing. <laughs> when I was meeting you, because I'm so familiar with Griefcast, you almost want to go, oh, here comes Auntie Carriad and I'm going to sort of talk to her about my, you know, unburden all my, yeah, all my things I'm about used to that. Grief. That's okay. Yeah, yeah, I'm very used to you that. Must, I do do other things. Like, I'm not just But you must get counselor. the same thing. Like, people must walk up and instantly tell you their jewellery stories. I don't mind it. I have to say, I don't mind it. Like, obviously, there's times when it's not appropriate or it's difficult when, you know, you're in the playground and you're with kids and they, they mm. kind of want an emotional conversation. You're like, he is about to jump off the slide. Like, mm. we, we have to deal with that. But um, I think it's part of the... Um, half of the course I guess you know like that's the game that's the conversation I've opened so and mostly I think people just want to be able to speak about their situation without worrying someone's going to go why are you telling me that like why why would I care they know I'm not going to go all right I'm going to go oh I'm really sorry that sounds really hard (laughs) something that worries me because I'm going through quite a kind of long and in-depth kind of therapy at the moment is that it feels like with emotions that you have a you know you kind of store everything up 
So when someone's died that's been close to me, or you go to a funeral, you kind of, I'm never quite sure if I'm bringing just a, a packet full of emotions to the yeah, whole thing. Yeah, and yeah. the event has allowed the hatches to come yeah, off a yeah. bit. That's very common. I mean, people constantly say things like, oh, I, you know, I didn't cry at my dad's funeral, but then a friend of a friend's uncle passed away and we went and I was in yeah. floods of tears. And I think, you know, that's why also celebrities get us in that way. That's why you have the reaction to, you know, David Bowie passing away or Princess Diana. It's yeah. like it gives you this space to feel the emotion that perhaps feels quite overwhelming. And I think I always say to people, just don't judge yourself for that. If that's a way to release some of the grief, that's fine. Like, it's absolutely fine. The key is not to go up to the main person and be like, oh my God, I'm so sad. You know, like, mm. you have to, like, take yeah. that to someone. Someone described it, Kathy Rensenbrink described it as like, you know, there's like a special event and you, you're certain people are allowed to pass the velvet rope mm. and certain people aren't. Mm. And if you're past the velvet rope of a grief, mm. you're right in the epicentre of it. Mm. And those people don't need to know that you you're in mm. pieces at the funeral like they're dealing with their stuff but if you're like watching people mm. on the velvet rope then you're allowed to That's feel the nice emotion analogy. yeah yeah and then sometimes because sometimes you know you know you hear of someone dying and you might feel sad but you don't feel like oh my world is imploded and sometimes you're like oh right yeah i'm this is my gang like i think part of what i'm saying is i've never been able to separate each of the different elements of when you feel sad and which bits grief and which bits sadness that you bought from somewhere else yeah, and so yeah. sometimes it all just gets if, if you're a bit sort of British about it oh, this is how I feel anyway you know you kind of bundle them all down you, you batten them all down in your pack it all and down, it all yeah, down yeah. And, then, and then you go off to work and you're the sort of the front that you want to be and then um, when something happens that, that loosens the hatches it kind of splurts out in all different yeah. directions and you don't know which bit is was grief which bits anger from something else which bits just sadness or you know it's, it's quite complex I find it quite complex to identify each different emotion where it comes from and, and what happens in some ways it's just easier then to just you know screw the screws down on those hatches <laughs> again and, and, and just pretend nothing's that's happened. not what therapy's taught you well, I know you. well that's the, what I'm all this therapy and like, what I've concluded is just like screw the hatches down guys <laughs> don't let it out this is my new podcast <laughs> back down the hatches and get on with it what's going, the matter yeah. Yeah, I think the other thing I'd say that I think people sometimes have a problem, not problem with grief, but sometimes is confusing about grief is it isn't one emotion. It is everything you're describing. It's sadness, it's anger, it's depression, it's joy, it's, you know, repulsion, it's regret. Like, and so sometimes when we feel a distinctive emotion, we think, well, this isn't grief. This is anger because they did this. And actually, that's grief. Grief is all of those things in a mess, a chaos, a hurricane coming towards you. And the more I've kind of just let that be the definition of grief, the easier I found it to just go, oh, well, that's just how I feel, rather than like, well, this is anger for this, and this is sadness for this. Mm. It's like, it's just, that's, when you grieve for somebody, a lot of crap comes up, mm. basically. Yeah, to the top. yeah, and it comes out in different ways too, yeah. doesn't it? Shall we just chat about your book? Yes, because please. I love the fact it's published by Bloomsbury, mm -hmm. and um, I did a book, and it was published by Bloomsbury, and oh my gosh, writing a book, it's such a lot of work and you get so stressy. How was the experience for you? And we've just got it. I'm oh, going to yeah, ask you to sign it. Oh, bless you. If bless you don't mind. But um, it looks great. I can't wait to read it. How was the experience? Really hard. Yeah, I don't think writing a book is easy. I think mm. it's a really, really hard thing to do. I guess it's like, it is like cliche, but it's like a marathon, isn't it? No mm. one's like, oh, that was a breeze. I'd do that tomorrow. Some people, maybe they, they need therapy. Um, <laughs> so I got the book deal in 2019. Then I found out I was pregnant with my second child. And I thought, oh, this is tricky. But, you know, we can deal with this. We can get childcare. We can help. And he was born five days before the first lockdown. So <laughs> yeah, I wrote with that. the majority of it at home in the middle of a pandemic 
with you know like the rest of us listening to these that number going up day by day by day mm. with a newborn and a three-year-old at the time trying to you know research Victorian rituals around grief so it was quite an intense experience but um part of me also thinks oh maybe it was not helpful but apt that the world was grieving mm. at the time that I really had to like look into this in depth and write about my grief memories and really go there it was kind of helpful that I was at home permanently and everybody was like yeah me too <laughs> kind of going through it so it was um not an easy thing to write but um I feel like almost like I had to I had to write mm. it basically I guess um, one thing the pandemic did it seemed to kind of blow the lid off what grieving was because people yeah. were pre- prevented from perhaps taking some of the more traditional routes and yeah. so I suppose as you were writing your subject sort of exploded at the same time so yeah. kind of a lot to deal with there it was a lot and I was you know I was being asked to come on the radio a lot more and talk about grief because suddenly everybody wanted yeah. to talk about grief and yeah. it was strange to it was almost like my niche topic became really fashionable overnight yeah so having done this podcast for seven years and, and I you know I had publicity with it but not you know you kind of came to it when you needed it and then suddenly to kind of be jumped into this mainstream it was quite interesting to be like oh wow like people being like wow so what what is this grief thing (laughs) and me being like yeah it's been there for a while like we've all been going through it and it was interesting interviewing people who lost people at that time as well because some of them it was very mixed some people found it very hard they didn't get their funerals they didn't get to see people and that caused all sorts of problems and other people said, you know what, like, I didn't have to go to work, I didn't have to see people, like, it felt like the world was mourning my person as yeah. well, and actually I really appreciated this six months where I disappeared, so I think it just, as ever, with grief, with life, with all things, it's never one, yeah. it's never all bad or all good, it's, it's you know, a myriad of shades of things. How is it for you, the whole um, lockdown thing, um, I mean, having a new baby, in some ways, it could be heaven or hell, I can't yeah, quite yeah, work yeah, out yeah. there was a bit of both. It's been I mean like one good thing was like I'd prepped for my own lockdown and so I had kind of decided right you know for three months I'm not really going to go out I'm going to take it really easy so I'd like stopped up on Luro and food like all this so when that happened I was like well we don't need to worry because I have over prepared for this new baby yeah yeah and then um, yeah it was just really it was just really bizarre I feel very empathetic for people who it was their first child I feel lucky that we had one already And so, you know, they entertained each other, even at that early stage. You had, like, something to play with and somebody to talk to. And it was kind of exciting because it was, like, new baby time rather than, like, oh, we're all just stuck at home with nothing to do. And um, now he's... (laughs) I describe him as, like, a beefy baby. He's (laughs) massive. So I look at the situation I'm now with them being six and three, and I think, oh, my God, if we'd locked down now, shit. (laughs) Like, at least... It would be hell. hell, Because he's, like, a, you know... He's like a big dog. Yeah. You have to walk yeah. him and you can't let him be inside too long. Whereas when he was a baby, it was fine. You could just... Yeah, cool, cool. That's yeah. so nice. So there were positives, definitely. But yeah, it was very weird not to have that support. Yeah. You know, like my family couldn't come around and see us. And yeah. that was really weird. So I guess the book took longer than you anticipated. Mm. We didn't have a lockdown and I didn't have a baby. But I think mine took about as long as yours did, including all your lockdowns and stuff. Because I'm like a one-finger typist. So it was, oh, okay. Yeah, it yeah. Was, it was hard Slow. work. Um <laughs> What I love is the, is the fact that um, it seems there's been a long gap where there hasn't really been anywhere for people to go when they were confused or just wanted some information or just wanted to chuck ideas around. 
And it feels like now you've created that space, which is great. And hopefully you've started a, a wider dialogue and more people are getting involved because you can't kind of fix the whole thing yeah. on your own. <laughs> Um, but it feels like a really important book. And it, Thank you. Uh, just at the moment. So thanks for that. I'm going to read it. We're going to put links on the website. So definitely worth a, a read. Yes. Thank you. But I knew it because before we started, I thought, oh, God, we're just going to end up talking about grief and, yeah, and yeah, people yeah, dying yeah. all the time. And then I'm, I'm like, oh, God, I want to talk about all about my dad and all that sort of thing. But we're not going to. We're going to look at some jewellery if we can. Yes. Um, yes. Quite often... So I was really interested in this link that uh, when we've talked about jewellery before, the normal thing is that people come and say, oh, this is important to me because it yeah. belonged to my grandmother or, yeah, my, yeah. or my aunt or someone. And so it's, it's people that they've lost and um, the jewellery reconnects them. Mm. Um, and yeah, they I, call it transitional object. Oh, I'm going to write that down. Transitional, transitional object. object. I called it Horcrux before. <laughs> yeah, which yeah, is, yeah, same which thing. Which isn't really the same, is it? Transitional. Transitional object. So that is the idea. And, it, you know, a transitional object can be a piece of jewellery or it could be, you know, a silly, horrible doll, a dog. You know, mm. it's like something that weirdly means more... I think the original term of the phrase is from, like, kids having blankies, you know? Like, yes. it's like, it's hard for them to transition without this thing that's helping them. And it's the same with grief. It's like, it's hard for you to let go of that person and this object becomes more meaningful than it is to everybody else. What's been interesting for me is that I've had guests that have these objects and sometimes they didn't like, they oh, had yeah, a very yeah, yeah. difficult relationship with the yeah. person that, that's died and they're left with this thing yeah. that they kind of hate as much as they hate yeah, the person. Yeah, yeah. But they, what do you do with that? You know, you can't toss it in the bin or yeah. sell it. It's like been really interesting. That hasn't always been very easy stories, but yeah. um, Normally the stories have been nice and easy and I love this way that the... Um, I'm just fascinated in the way that a, an inanimate object can take on yes. this significance and important and, and emotions and can literally... One of the stories that kind of always gets me, and I don't know why because I have no personal experience of it, is when people describe their grandmothers with, with all their rings on and yeah, they can sort of yeah. smell the smell and you can sort of see that hand, can't you? Yeah. And then when they have this ring and they put it on it, sort of their back there sitting on their grandmother's yeah. lap or something, it's beautiful. It's, it's interesting because... There's a lot of theories with grief which are not that new but only just kind of coming into the mainstream and one of them is this thing called continuing bonds which is that your relationship with that person continues to exist even yeah. though they're dead and you're continuing to have a relationship and be in conversation with them because you are changing yeah. so every time you change your grief changes and I think what you're describing is so perfect because when you have an object and the relationship is difficult the object becomes the person you yeah. know you can kind of look at that object and think oh you never said this or you never did that yeah. but you did also love me and, and you have that conversation via the object and I think you know psychotherapy now understands that's a really important part of the grief process it's not weird it's absolutely fine if you still talk to them or you're still processing that relationship but actually we all sort of knew that anyway through yeah. the objects that we kept we just didn't have a name for it but now they call it continuing bonds so I like that yeah, I like good, all these it? technical terms yeah, I'll be yeah. able to use them so I'm very clever in the future I guess the difference with jewellery so I think the thing that fascinates me with jewellery is that it's portable and you can wear it so yeah. 
I might have my dad's chess set or something, but it's in a drawer at home. Yeah, so yeah. So for 99% of the time, I don't even think about it. Whereas I think with jewellery, because you, you wear it on your body and you fiddle with a ring or you or you twiddle with a pendant yeah, on a necklace. Yeah. So it's against your skin and constantly with you and it sort of has it's a slightly so different quality. Yeah, it's much more connected. And also something that humans have done for thousands of years, have worn trinkets to mean something. So it's yeah. like sort of bizarrely um, ancient about it yeah. that feels kind of again like grief like we've been our society our humans our race have been grieving since yeah. we started living <laughs> very <laughs> primitive isn't it yeah. I kind of wish I had a talk to you um, years ago because we have some of the most beautiful stories about it might be a mother who's lost a child and mm. how someone bought them this piece of jewellery to somehow commemorate that and, yeah. and they've written to us and said thank you for this, this is why it's important to me. And I've, I've always been uh, very British, where I sort of read the letter, I get quite emotional, but I, I sort of yeah, yeah. don't have the words. Or, and actually, I think one of the things you've been great at is that you've you've given people permission, or perhaps some pointers, to, to know how to respond. Yeah, yeah, I try to be like, basically to say to people, like, there's no right way. There's yeah. no right way to grieve, there's no right way to help someone. Yeah. But the main thing you can do is be there, is show yeah. up. I interviewed... Um, Rob Delaney recently, mm. was, you know, amazing book, A Heart That Works, about the death of his son. And we were talking about, um, you know, how, how difficult it is if somebody, obviously, somebody's been through something very tragic. And we were discussing that really, what humans really need is four seconds of your time. So if somebody says to you, like, oh, my so-and-so just died, what they're asking for is about four seconds of you just to take that in and go, I'm really sorry, that sounds awful. And that's it. But because we panic in that four seconds, that's when we get into the close it down, don't say anything. Oh God, what should I do? Are they going to start crying? Like all this panic that we live with because we haven't been brought up to express this emotion and we don't see it practiced yeah. in our elders. So we, you know, yeah. we don't learn it as we're children. But yeah, it's just four seconds of just saying, sitting with someone's pain and going, that sounds really hard. Um, actually, I was reading, again, I, I thought it was very sensitive and quite quite emotional for me because I was reading about, I think uh, it was an interview with you and, you, and there was saying how do you do improv so my question is is like I would go why how could you that so seems so scary but what I loved is your reply was about um how if someone makes a statement you kind of allow them that space or you're listening so I think that probably doesn't just apply to grief I think it applies in life oh yeah definitely is is you know that thing where someone says I feel sad and so often the reply is but you've, you've yeah. got this. Yeah, so yeah, it, yeah. It's taken Count away from blessings, you. blessings, don't yeah. worry, people are worse off than you. <clears throat> like we have so many phrases that we are comfortable with to shut down someone's yeah. sadness. We just don't like people being sad. And it takes it away from them. Yeah, and yeah. quite often that process of having your, your sadness taken away from you will result in it being put in, you know, I was talking earlier yeah, about yeah. batting down in the hatches yeah. again. And then it has to come out at some point and, and it can come out in all sorts of different ways. And I think sadness is one of those ways. That it, yeah, and um, grief is very isolating you know it literally lights up the part of your brain the same part that lights up with depression so you know and it's it's not a mental illness there is a reason for your feelings but it makes you feel like no one really understands no one cares no one gets this because it's a very unique experience so when people do shut down your sadness it just confirms no one gets it no one cares no one understands whereas if we can get better as a society of just saying god that's awful i'm sorry to hear that yeah. you know uh, me and particularly my daughter connie uh, suffer from mental health problems and we get quite sad and the, the big problem I, I was really interested in in the title of your book which is great you know we are you, you are not alone which is great and it's true but the problem particularly if you're 
in quite a dark place when you're mm. feeling sad is you feel alone and in many ways you are alone because yeah. you feel alone yeah yeah and also especially when it comes to grief grief is a unique experience so like my grief is different to my brother's grief to my mum's grief like about the same person it's entirely based on you and that person's relationship and no one can truly understand that and um, philip perry when i interviewed her said this sort of lovely example that if a friend dies, you'll have this set of jokes that you no one else knows, mm. or they might have been your cup of tea friend, but someone else have been the party friend, and you're going to grieve them completely differently, and no one will understand, you know, no one was yeah. at that film the exact same time that, you know, somebody fell over as they walk into cinema, and you both, like, like, those experiences. So it is a unique, isolating experience. But what I wanted to do with the book is just highlight to people, you're not the only person to feel those things, even though this set of circumstances is completely isolating or how you feel sad on this dark yeah. place. Everybody has felt like that. And in the book, it's me writing, but I've got a lot of quotes from the podcast as well to mm. kind of, mm. I guess like a good student, back up my argument. Yeah. Like, I'm not the only one. To, and I cut, that's why I wanted people to read it and go, oh, okay, I feel awful because of this grief, but all these people also felt awful. And that actually is life. It, you know, is knowing people who die and you really, really miss them and it's really sad. It doesn't mean you're going to stay in that place forever. It doesn't mean that's a state of permanence. It will change. But I'm not the only person going through yeah. this. And I think that's quite often where a lot of the damage is done in both grief and, and sadness and depression is the really strong sense that you are on your own. Yeah, with it. Yeah. And, and if you can break out of that, then that's quite a big step forward I yeah. suppose now you've got some beautiful bits of jewellery in front of you I got and I actually well I've got <clears throat> to bring one but we have a photo of it but that's the one good. probably talk about first so this I'm so sad I forgot to bring it this is a ring that my grandpa Lovely. made for me what so he made it it's beautiful. What it is, is it's an oval cabochon. Now, cabochon means that the stone is sort of rounded on the front. And often with a cabochon, the way that you set it is that you put it in a little kind of cup shape and you push the walls of the cup over, and that's called a rub-over setting. So it's an oval cabochon in a rub-over setting on a plain shank. And it looks to me like lovely, greeny, speckledy opal. But um, are you going to correct it me on that? It is an opal. It's an opal, yeah. <laughs> You'd yeah. think at least I'd know what an opal was, wouldn't you? <laughs> Like what we call it now, if something's made and you can sort of see marks and scratches, yeah, you can yeah. see, we say you can see the hand of the maker on it. Oh, yeah, you can definitely see that. In the old days, you go, God, blimey. Yeah, yeah. And these, I really like the fact that you can see. So you're joking me. So this was. You made it. And I was saying, How was he um, so. Well, that, yeah, what that's. What did he do? Well, he didn't make jewelry. And it, so there's a letter that he. This is his amazing handwriting. Hang on. Can you see? Look at this handwriting. Yes, I can. Oh, my gosh. That's like. Yeah. If you if you watch Who Do You Think You Are and they go back through yeah, yeah, to, to yeah. some archives, it's beautiful handwriting. So it says, Carriad's 16th birthday, Opal Ring, 1998. This ring was made especially for Carriad by her grandfather, Herbert Lloyd, in his 86th year while a student at Barnet College. He acquired the opal from the famous opal mines at Cooper PD, Australia, when he was digging for gold in Bendigo, Victoria. The ring is made from hand-beaten sterling silver. It should not get wet. May it make... Uh, happy, proud, and fortunate. We love you, Carriad HL. So my grandfather and I. Yeah, I'm sad I haven't bought it because it is a ring that looks like a man, 86 year old man made it. It was an extraordinary human. He was a solicitor in his life. 
Not a maker? Not a maker. And then he he sort of was involved in PR and he worked for the Port of London Authority and various odd jobs. He was, he's Welsh, that's my Welsh connection. Mm. And uh, he was a Japanese prisoner of war, survived oh in Changi Jail, came back six stone like nothing. Um, and he was just an extraordinary human. So one of the things he did was he would talk all the time about his experiences at POW. He was the first person to welcome a Japanese family into Bridge End in Wales, where he lived. He, he made sure they came and stay. He said, it wasn't their fault. We need to make peace and we need to spread the word that this is not how, you know, we build a future by hating these people who... He escaped death three times in the POW camp by talking his way out of it. <laughs> He's just an extraordinary human. And when he retired, um, so obviously I, my memories of him are sort of very rotund raconteur who was obsessed with learning. So mm. he taught himself piano, then he taught himself sculpture, and then he did a jewellery making course. Well, it's, it's, <laughs> it's actually, you know, it's, it's well made. It's not that, bad, That's not yeah. bad at all. Yeah, yeah. So there's a little note in, in the yeah. note that he wrote, so don't get it wet, because what's fascinating, it's great because it's an Australian opal, mm. and you get really good quality opals from there. What happens is that there are some other places in the world where you get nice-looking opals, but opals are very porous, and all that light oh, refraction, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it, they can absorb water just from the atmosphere, and they, turn, they just go milky, so they turn into a sort of... Yeah the colour of off milk <laughs> and the number of people that have them set in a beautiful ring yeah, yeah. and just put them in a drawer and take them out three months later and you have this off milk wow. coloured stone uh, that you spend a fortune on. Yeah, this, this stone... has never changed. Like, I, I mean, to be fair, I've never worn it. I think I wore it actually at his funeral um, as a sort of honouring, but I, I keep it in its... Which is why it's a bit tarnished as well. Got well, you could... A little um, silver polishing, because yeah, yeah. you don't... We normally tell people to clean jewellery with some warm soapy water and that's the first thing you do and yeah. then you can put it in something called silver dip where you dip it in a oh, liquid. Yeah, yeah. But with that, you want to keep it dry. So I think it's probably such a good stone that, you know, you needn't be overly obsessive. Yeah, yeah. But, no, but you just, you just don't want to drop it in water. But a silver polishing cloth will bring the silver up nicely. And um, I suppose this is a really interesting point because we were talking about these important connections and um, when the connections are so important, your grandfather sounds like the most remarkable man because yeah. I have met remarkable people who've been through a similar thing but they haven't ever reached the stage where they where they could welcome a family yeah. into their into their he was extraordinary just, human, uh, just yeah. amazing man but then the piece of jewellery becomes it almost becomes too precious to wear yeah I don't like wearing it because I do feel like because it's home homemade it feels not very solid you know so yeah. I like having it I like getting yeah. it out and, I'm, and I have worn it for occasions but yeah I, I mostly have like stored it in the drawer with other bits and pieces I think also it. it's going to be nice for your kids isn't it because you'll be able to you'll be able to use the object yes to, to, tell, to tell the story and the object will make the story real it'll uh, pull them through to the person and who made it because you can see his hands on the making and what's interesting about the time he made it is that he's given that to me that must be four months after my dad died so he must have made it at that in that year and there's the reason I have so much you know talk about grief so much was my dad died in the April of 1988 and he died in the December he basically gave up once my dad died he kind of just was like I'm out of here and he sort of died and they there wasn't really you know I mean there wasn't like a reason it was like oh respiratory but yeah the man gave up yeah so it's quite at the time I remember him giving it to me and not particularly loving it because <laughs> I thought the opal looked a bit cheap because it's so shiny I remember thinking oh it was a bit of a, like it sort of had a Claire's accessory vibe about yeah. it because it was so glittery 
Do you think that's not also one of the issues to deal with is to allow yourself to be a teenager and yeah, to be yeah. slightly stroppy, ungrateful teenager? Well, no, I just know. didn't sort of think. And because he did this all the time, like he was always learning something. So it was to me, oh, he's made me a ring. Sure. Like last week he, you know, learned the organ at the church and we all had to go and listen to it. Like he was always doing those sort of things. It's brilliant, isn't it? So I wasn't that impressed. So we're now reading now the letter that he wrote. I'm like, God, he was 86. He was making me a ring. Like, what the hell? He was an extraordinary human. Bertie. Everyone called him Bertie. We love Bertie. Yeah. And I'm slightly jealous because I do teach jewellery. We do a lovely sort of jewellery school. And it's one of the high points of my month. Teaching is just such a joy. And you meet these amazing people. I'm slightly jealous I didn't teach Bertie. Yeah, you would have loved him. I didn't him. make that great yeah, because yeah, yeah. he just sounds like we're not going to see his yeah, type again yeah. and how amazing yeah how lovely well um we've got a picture of it so we're going to put that on on the yes, website so I'll you'll, you'll you see <laughs> no well that's all right it's just yeah. it's just if anyone wants to actually yeah, just yeah. see the see the room but i love that i didn't realize when i was researching so you had one kind of blow yeah. dealt on another yeah yeah and a lot knows god when i was 15 i was horrible <laughs> And I think I would have just ignored the whole thing. And yeah, it, I mean, it was so. it was tough, definitely. And I was very close to my grandfather. They lived around the corner. And obviously my dad was only 44, so it was like... I went from being a kind of, you know, suburban middle-class kid. Nothing was really wrong to like, yeah. oh my God, like, oh, okay. Now I've seen what the like real life is like. So yeah, yeah it was like the before and after of that grief was quite extreme. Yeah quite big yeah but you got the ring so that's nice I love that ring thank you you've got some nice bits and pieces in front of you what what else have you got Uh, to be watching today yeah I don't know where would you like to start I mean I like uh, let's have a look at the Russian wedding oh yes you've got two of them which like people don't normally have two I know well this is another grandpa story grandma story so when I was a teenager I saw a Russian wedding ring which we should say is three rings intertwined isn't it gold white golden rose gold yes I saw a Russian wedding ring I think in an Argos catalogue and I thought it was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen in my life I couldn't believe you could have a ring like that like yeah. it was like Love it. three different colours and I was obsessed with these rings and um, at some point my dad bought me one so one of these I don't know which one <gasps> is from my dad and I used to wear it as a teenager and then when my grandma passed away Bertie's wife Bonnie I had quite a few bit of jewellery from her like you know some of it tat and some of it very lovely and it was all in boxes and um literally I would say about two months ago I was trying to clear through this jewellery box and I saw a ring and I thought oh that's my Russian wedding ring and then I was like no it's not so my grandmother had one and I had one and we had no idea and they're almost the same I think this is the one my dad bought me because it's really shiny and that was my grandmother's so you know what we can do what we can probably check the mark on it is if I take, using a little kind of lensy thing, if I take a photograph of those hallmarks, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe if I get a minute, I can look up where the ring was made, so there'll yes. be a, a location mark. Yeah, yeah. And then it'll have the maker on it, so mine's AJM, because they're my initials. Right. And then it'll have the the um, the symbol for the for the type of material, so it could be uh, silver or gold or, or platinum or whatever it is. And then it'll often have a, perhaps a number, which will be... Um, nine karat gold is 375 or something right, yeah. so th- there's various sort of ways but but the shape the font of the it'll have date as well and the font of the date and the shape of the little box that the date's put in will correspond to to whichever block of alphabets so you can uh, get a yes. book and you yeah, go oh this yeah. is italics set in a circle right okay so an italic j set in a circle will be 1970 whatever so would dating the rings help you identify or do you want to know i don't i think it must be 
I think this one's too shiny. So I think that must be mine, which wasn't from Argos. I don't think he got it from Argos, but I can't remember where he got it from. <laughs> but isn't that strange that all these years I've never... Every time I've come across it, I've thought it was the same ring. And it was only two months ago I saw them together. Oh, and I was like, what? Why do I have two of the same ring? I just think that's brilliant. So my grandmother, who I have to say was complete opposite to my grandfather, never spoke, hardly said a word, I barely knew anything about her life. So I don't know why she had it or if she liked it, if it was important to her, I know nothing. She was complete opposite <laughs> to the raconteur who liked to tell everybody his entire life story of the job of her. So I presume that, that yeah. your granddad would have bought it for her, maybe, as a gift. I guess I so, know. yeah, I guess so. I mean, so. back in the day, it was jewellery was often the thing that, that men would give to women, wouldn't yeah, rather yeah. than that was what's nice and But I, I don't wear it so much anymore, but I still, part of me, likes the remembering the teenager that thought that was the most glamorous thing you could wear, three I different see. types of gold. I love them. I love <laughs> them. And pretty, what, what's great about them is, first thing that I love is... They kind of like, if you play with them, they go yes. Olympic symbol. You get it's the very tactile, sort of... isn't it? Yeah, yeah. But then to wear it, the way to wear them is you sort of drop them and they fall in the right, yeah, yeah. In the right way. Because sometimes you can get one of them the wrong way around or something, it doesn't yes, spill. Yes, it gets locked. So, that, you know, the it? trick is to drop them. Oh, but then okay. it's the rolly bit. Yeah, that's what I like is putting them on and taking them off again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's and really satisfying. I don't know how you could wear one of these without spending the whole day yeah. just fiddling with that gorgeous rolly I think rolly that's why I stopped. I had it at school for a bit. I think I just fiddled with it constantly. Yes, when it's all on, you get the three bands together. and that's what I'm I think they're great. I mean, it's classic. I have two now, so I'm very happy with that. I wonder if it's... I'm going to have to look up. I mean, is there such a thing as a six-band yeah, Russell Redding yeah. ring? And, and then how would that work? You, you could sort of, you know, connect them all together. Yeah, it's a bit yeah. much, isn't it? I think three's good. Well, look, maybe if we can... I don't, like, do you want to know who's his Yeah, sister? I mean, I'd happily... I would, wouldn't mind because I'm so still confused. I have to say, I think that's the newer one because it looks newer, but I could be wrong. But the only thing I'm going to say is... This is, got more marks on it. I can't find hallmarks on this one. That one's got one really small one somewhere. Has it? Yeah. Okay. So I'm just wondering whether whether it, they're a little bit more worn, which would make it... Which would normally place it as being older. Yeah. Even though it's shinier, it might be older, and it might be shinier because it's better quality oh, yeah, materials. So if this yeah, if this ring is nine carat, so nine carat, if you imagine there's a kind of basket that has twenty four carats in it, only nine of those carats are gold, uh, and the yeah. other what's twenty four minus gold? Quick, someone get their calculator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we could do this. But the other all the other carats are things like copper, and you know, so the red gold is copper. The right, the see. white gold will be I don't know other things like palladium or whatever to turn it white. Yeah, there's a tiny mark on it there. But it's really tiny in that one. Well, that's interesting. I can see a 14, but there's something else there as well. Yeah. I'm going to get like a, like a zoomy lens and we'll have a look at okay. that. But yeah, who doesn't love a Russian wedding? I don't know why they're called Russian. Is that I know, how yeah. Russian people got married in? They traditional, that's what I assume, that that's what they used to do in Russia. But perhaps that's, it could be what we call a ring that has absolutely nothing to do with it, probably. Love them. Okay, how nice. That's really sweet because we've got, um, is that your paternal grandfather and grandmother yes yeah yeah so my dad bought me one of them and his mum yeah. owns the other one yeah cool super all right what's next up uh this one to talk about <clears throat> the other side so my my father was yeah pretty middle class but my mum absolutely is wasn't her family are from 
East End, moved to Essex, like very, very working class. So this brooch was my granny's. So Is she like proper son. Essex accent? Yeah, so that she it. would be very cross with you for Well, no, because I'm brought up from uh, on that Essex Suffolk border, oh, so okay. I've got a real affection for that those sort of accents, and they seem to be a bit eroded because there's a bit of sort of ex- estuary that's slightly yeah, taking over from yeah, some of the true. some of the really nice um, regional accents. But anyway, I don't know. No, she was from like Romford and Rain, <laughs> so Rain and Marshes. Yeah, oh. Rain and Marshes. That's where my my granny and granddad lived, opposite Rain and Marshes. Right. Um, but this was a brooch that was my granny's Aww. my mum thinks it's from Woolworths <laughs> she thinks wouldn't that be nice in Woolworths back in the day and when they passed away it somehow ended up I think I guess my mum had it in a drawer and I got it out of a drawer and I, I'm obsessed with green jewels that's what I oh really nice like. so um, yeah I've got one there and um, so I purloined it off my mother and I wore it constantly and then the, the clasp got bent at the back so it doesn't really clip anymore and then it was falling off and I went to several occasions where someone was like has anyone dropped a brooch I'd be like oh it's my granny's brooch so I stopped wearing it because I yeah. used to really panic about it but yeah I'm pretty sure it's from you know Romford Woolworths probably around 1950s something hey well I say don't not Romford Woolworths because no, this is pretty, pretty isn't it? it's really pretty and it's nicely made I was just looking from a repair point of view. I think I've got some. I'm just doubling up oh, yeah, yeah, glasses yeah. and optifiers. Oh, so I'm looking from a re- repair point of view because the problem is. So, so I'm guessing it's um, it's brass. Yeah, I think so. And it would have been soldered together with a kind of low melting point solder. So there's not really you can't go soldering on other things. So this catch either it works. I mean, we could try and bend it back so that it works, but it might break in the bending. Yeah, Do you yeah, want to? Yeah. Do you want us to try it later? Yes, please. God, I'd love it to work again. There is a risk that that would just break off, but if we could get it to, yeah, that'd be great. to, to kind of catch again. It's very pretty, sort of 1940s style, I suppose, yeah. but I think she did. I think it was probably later than that. And yeah, with green jewels on it and little brass flowers. And it's very sweet. Yeah, it's really lovely. And it's a, yeah, my granny, that side, were very, very different <laughs> to the uh, Welsh <laughs> side. The best way to describe my granny, she was like dot cotton. Like, imagine dot cotton, but without the smoking. Very East End traditional, but very, like, quite religious. And if you even said something like, damn it, she would think that was extreme swearing. Yeah. And not a frivolous person. So to have something like this that's quite jazzy for yeah. her, um, I'm, I sort of like, mm, that would that's have been... Lovely. She would have thought that was very... I can't... Time. I've sort of got your dad's dad. I can't imagine him not getting on with anyone. He, oh, like, they loved him. They, yeah, he, yeah, you know, yeah. So, so the family all kind of gelled well. Cause it was incredible, yeah. You would have expected... I mean, to be fair, when they initially tried to get married, my this the raconteur, Bertie, did take my dad aside and say, she's too common, you shouldn't marry her. <laughs> but eventually... That's, that's, not, that's not a very kind of fashionable approach no, these days for your no. parents. But, but uh, at the time, that was how it went. But yeah, eventually. Yeah, my, my granddad was like in the Merchant Navy, like worked on the docks, mm. and they the two grand, granddads loved each other. They would yeah. just sit and drink whiskey and like reminisce. They absolutely, yeah, there wasn't really many people he didn't get on with, Bertie. He was... Despite his snob, private snobbery. <laughs> <laughs> cool, cool. Um, can we look at this at this gorgeous necklace? Yes, I'm really, yeah, yeah. That, that kind of stands out. This is my newest piece. Mm. Uh, and this was a birthday present from a very dear friend, uh, my friend Vanessa. And it's from a brand, I think they're called Copenhagen or something mm-hmm. like that. So it's fresh water pearls, I think, and sort of beads. And um, yeah, it was only bought for me last August. And it's one of those things, the reason I bought it in is... 
when a friend buys you something that's so perfect that you feel like, oh, they, we truly understand each other. <laughs> and you're not having to go, oh, oh, thanks. That's lovely. Oh, right. And now I've got to wear, they're coming yeah. over, I've got to wear it. Where the yeah, hell have yeah, I put exactly, it? Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Whereas she went to one of my, my favourite shops, the Mercantile in Spitalfields, and they stopped this yeah. brand called Enamel Copenhagen, I think yeah. is what it's called. And um, she was like, oh, are you probably not going to like it? I've kept the receipt. She was so worried. Who could not like this? I, I mean, know, it's beautiful, isn't it? So what it is, is it, it's a chain and it has lots of beads on it. But what's beautiful is it has these little seed pearl areas. And the seed pearls are, are strung. So they're not on a wire, they're on a string. So they've got a nice sort of mobility to them. And then there's a little bit of chain and then a gorgeous little stone, semi-precious stone. And the colours, it's kind of got, um, I don't know, a little bit of kind of muted tangerine pink, a, a, a duck egg blue, and, and um, just the colours go so nicely with the gold. And then there are four slightly bigger, very natural, I'm guessing freshwater pearls on, at the bottom. But it's really a pretty little piece. It's just so pretty, isn't it? Yeah, and it's, it's as I said, very new and... Friends are good when they, when they yeah, get it right, Yeah, when they get they? it right, yeah, yeah. And it just, yeah, it, we've been friends since university, so it's something that I hold very dear, and I feel like, you know, you've been through so much with someone. Yeah. That, that again, as we went, come back to what we talk about, you sort of feel like they're near you when yeah. you wear it, you're like, yeah. What I'm kind of getting from this is, there's something really nice about feeling that somebody perhaps... Um, gets you or sees you or knows you yeah yeah and I think that's often the problem with with um you know with gift giving isn't it sometimes and it's typically a kind of guy would rush out at the last minute <laughs> yeah, to buy yeah. a Christmas present for his wife and it, yeah. she'd say foot spark what have you done <laughs> yes. and he'd be all offended because it's what I thought you would love and there is something about gift giving that if, if you give a gift that, that shows that you know the person it really does kind of get through to you doesn't it yeah and yeah I think, really like you're like wow you've listened you care you've thought about it and you got it right you got it like right. you smashed it it's so, so important yeah so that's very that's really cute I like that no I, I want to see that ring well I tell why don't we talk this is my wedding yeah. ring lovely why isn't it on your finger did you just take I it off I just took it off yeah I just took it off yeah, yeah. I thought it came out because you were just touching your jewellery box <laughs> no, like yeah why like, did you keep it in your jewellery that's so um, cute so the reason I love this ring so much I searched high and low for I wanted something really thin really simple and I couldn't find anything anywhere and every time we went down to Hatton Garden even it was just like people quoting prices that were insane and this yeah. you know we had no money and I was um, in Richmond doing a gig improv gig and I literally walked past the jewellery shop and you know when you catch something and I thought oh my god that's my ring it was £100 it was very cheap right. it's really thin gold because it's Georgian is it? it's Georgian so it's older than Jane Austen when I do this show Austin yeah. so I feel like I think it's 1740 something and the guy said to me they don't make rings this thin anymore because it's not great it's really you know it could break and it's really thin it's really wobbly and I was like that's exactly what I want it's, so it's really nice not, and it's not wobbly it's, it's round quite often yeah. wedding rings are kind of quite beaten up but this is yeah. this has kept it um, and I just find it I love history I love London and I just the idea that I have something yeah. that's so old and I'm just walking around with it. Yeah. And it was it didn't cost me a fortune. It wasn't owned by Zara yeah. and I didn't have to, you know, rob a museum to get it. No, I guess yeah, I, I guess you don't go into improv for the money. No, no. <laughs> I don't know yeah, why you do it at all, Kelly. No, it terrifies pure love, pure me. I'm so I'm such yeah. an anxious person. Uh, yeah. The idea of doing 
I mean, um, Austin, I don't know how quite how I'm going to pronounce it, but ostentatious. Ostentatious. It looks like really good fun, something I'd really enjoy. But I think I'd even be nervous being in the audience because it's like, yeah. oh my God, what if it all goes People wrong? say that until they come and see a show. And yeah. then they're like, oh, I see, you've been doing this for 15 yeah. years. I don't need to worry because we are seasoned yeah. professionals at that show. So, yeah, it's Improvised Jane Austen is the show. And we dress up in full Regency gear and we have a violinist that improvises with us and we get a title from the audience and that's it. And then off we go. It still, <laughs> it still fills me with terror. When I used to have a lovely little flat in Clapham and the guy on the top floor was an absolutely gorgeous guy called Tony Slattery. Oh, and yes. So yeah, he, kind yeah. of, he was the first that I sort of saw about him, right, improvisation. Yeah, yeah. And um, he was so lovely. And then um, John Sessions was, was always round and I they were sort of... I shows so. with John Sessions, yeah, back and, um, and even then it scared the shit out of yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I, I guess with the Comedy Store guys who are the original Who's Line guys, they still do yeah. shows at the Comedy Store in London. So every, you know, six months or so I guest with them. But... It's, yeah, I still feel honoured to be on stage with those people, like, who were Tony's generation. They were the foundation of British improv scene, so to us... Oh, that's really nice. We were in a crappy kind of bed city sort of old house, because obviously you you don't, I mean, not obviously maybe, but um, you don't go into jewellery for the money either, (laughs) because you've probably, you know, most people have a life of um, kind of struggling, and I guess that's the same with improv, it's it's, it's because you do it because you need to do it. Yeah, yeah, because you just love it. And actually... It's funny, most improvisers are absolutely anxious control freaks. People think that we're really? so relaxed. No. It's because improv has a set of rules which gives you a structure to follow. And that doesn't mean we know what we're doing. But we always know that whatever I say will be accepted. Yes. So it's a it's like controlled chaos. Yes. So if you're someone who st- struggles with chaos and finds it difficult, it's like a place to almost like play with a bouncy castle. You know, you're like, I'm safe here. Like, everyone's going to accept these ideas. This is going to be okay. And so most good improvisers are absolute control freaks. <laughs> That's so funny. I had no idea. Yeah, they're okay, not, you think they're so laid back and cool. No, they're not <laughs> at all. The really good ones are the most neurotic. <laughs> Carrie, I've kept you for an hour. Um, thank you so much. Thank, thank you, you for thank bringing you. your jewellery in. And um, I'm going to ask you to sign up. But we'll it's go pleasure. and... Um, have a look and see if that brooch can yeah, bend yeah. back and see if we can get a, a picture of the hallmarks on that ring. But thank you so much for thank giving you. your time. Thanks for coming and being a guest. Thank you so much. It was lovely. Thanks, Karen. Thank you for listening to my podcast. If you'd like to see some of the pieces we've been talking about, or for more information about any of the issues we've discussed, please check out our website and follow the links to the podcast page. You'll also find information on how to share your own stories, give a bit of feedback, or have a look at all the jewellery-related things I've been up to recently. We've also got some great jewellery-making tutorials on our YouTube channel. There's lots to see. Just go to www.alexmonroe.com. Mm-hmm.